Good morning. It's good to be back amongst you this morning. I want to start with just a, a few words uh, of thanks and gratitude uh, to the brethren and, and those uh, of this congregation. Thank you so much for your support and your love, uh, for your financial aid in, uh, in me. Um, it made things uh, so much easier uh, to, to feel the love and the support of the brethren here. Um, thank you men for stepping in and, uh, and so seamlessly carrying on. Um, very much appreciate that. I, I've heard reports that all went very well last uh, Sunday morning and that it was a very good service and, um, and for that I'm very thankful. Not that I uh, would expect anything less the men here are quite capable and, and are quite willing to step in when they need to, and I very much appreciate that. It eases my mind quite a bit. Um, I did lose my father last Wednesday, uh, Wednesday a week ago, I guess. Um, he was uh, uh, a good man. Uh, we had our differences. Uh, we butted heads, as fathers and sons tend to do. Um, but there were upwards of 250 people at his funeral last Sunday. Um, he used to joke about, uh, you know, I, I don't even think we'll have enough people at my funeral to have enough pallbearers. Uh, he was quite wrong in that. He touched a lot of people's lives. Uh, he, he was a very caring man. Did a lot for people. And uh, the community really showed their love uh, for him. Um, we greeted so many people after the funeral and said, said so many kind things about him. Um, I appreciate your prayers. I would ask for continued prayers on my behalf as I grieve and my brother and my mother, and especially for my mother, for her physical health. I would ask that you continue to, to keep her in prayer. She's doing okay, um, but she's going to be adjusting to a new life without my father. Again, thank you all very, very much for all the love and support that you've shown me. Is very much appreciated. I love you all very much. I'm glad to be a part of this work here in this group. So thank you all very much. Start things off a little bit differently this morning, and I want to um, start by by making this statement that, that Jesus has been buried. And and when I say that, please understand that I, I'm I'm speaking. Not literally, even though we know, of course, that our Lord was indeed buried. It's part of our uh, faith that our Lord was crucified, that he was buried, and then on the third day he rose from the dead. And that is so very important in the faith of a Christian in understanding that. But what I'm talking about here when we talk about that Jesus has been buried, I mean it more in a figurative way. And Jesus has been buried under a mountain of earthly debris. What do we mean by that? I think you might see where I'm going. Jesus, uh, Christianity, and we're going to keep referring to that as Jesus is being buried here, but we're talking about Christianity in, in general. It's been buried under a mountain of earthly debris. There's so much that has happened in the last 2,000 years that have, have just buried him again, so to speak, in so much debris, so much clutter, so much rubbish, and some of the things that, are, that, are, that add to this are, are false doctrine. You know, 
even in Scripture, we see that false doctrine was already being taught, even in the first century. It's only a few years after our Lord's resurrection, false doctrine is already creeping in. It was already something that the brethren and the apostles had to deal with and the brethren had to deal with. And that continues even up to today. Uh, only um, compounded by so much uh, in the world of religious error that there's so much false doctrine. I, uh, also errant doctrine and, and understanding things the wrong way uh, and taking a passage and, and twisting it and, and, and making it say something that, it's, that it doesn't really say. There's so much of that that goes on as well, even amongst brethren, as we see brethren that start to, to slip away from uh, the truth of the gospel and, and, and try to establish themselves maybe as, as something that they ought not to be and, and lead people astray. That adds to the clutter that, that our Lord's been buried under. And something I, I deem tangent doctrine is when we might take something and, and, and go off in a different direction than what is truly meant by Scripture. And again, this is something we see in the religious world, in the denominational world for sure. And again, even amongst brethren we see this. That it, and it's sad that brethren will over time slip away from the simple truth that's in, the, that's, that's in God's Word and, 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 and carry people away with them in, in, into apostasy. All that adds to, to what has buried our Lord and there's also the idea, uh, it might sound a little counterintuitive, but no doctrine. He's also buried under that mountain. That is, people who just don't believe in Jesus Christ, who don't believe in the teachings of the New Testament of the, and of the Bible as a whole. So that adds to the things that are, that are uh, on top of our Lord. And then there's others, uh, another thing to consider. Look in Mark chapter 7. And that is the idea of traditions of men, and that's uh, something that, that we always need to be cognizant of and that we always need to be weary, uh, wary of so that we don't grow weary of. Um, displacing um, God's doctrine for the doctrine of men. If you're there in Mark chapter 7, look beginning of verse 6. It says, And he said to them, it's our Lord speaking here. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. In verse 9, he's also saying to them, You nicely set aside the commandments of God in order to keep your traditions. And brethren, that's something that we have to always be on guard for, that our traditions do not supplant the Word of God. If our traditions are steeped in, in Scripture, then they're fine. We have traditions of, of gathering on the first day of the week and, and, and doing the things that we're to do on the first day of the week, praying and singing and taking the Lord's Supper. Those are traditions that we hold to because those are the ones we see in Scripture. And that's where we need to hold to those things and our right to do so. But we have to be willing to uh, put aside our own traditions and our own paradigms, if you will, if they come in the way or, or get between us and, and serving our Lord the best that we can. 
So we have to always be ready to shed those traditions that we have placed on top of uh, the traditions we find in Scripture. And so by doing that, we have to continually be unearthing Jesus, if you will. And that's what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time here is this, this idea of unearthing Jesus. Getting rid of all those things that, that have been piled on top of him over the years. And getting back down to the very simple and truthful teachings that we find in the Word of God. So it's up to us to do that. The world has, has inundated him, the church, Christianity as a whole, with lots of, just to be very blunt, lots of garbage. And so it's up to us as disciples of our Lord to continually clear that away and make sure that we're serving God and serving our Lord as he would have us to, have us to serve him. So in, in understanding this, we, we, we make this, uh, this statement that he must be unearthed. These things must be stripped away. As archaeologists um, unearth ancient cities, we can all picture in our mind, and, and I'm, this illustration is not new to me. Brother Bob Waldron uses this illustration, uh, so he, he deserves the credit here. But it's so fitting in what he puts here that, that if you're an archaeologist, it's your job to, to unearth all the, the, the clutter and the things that are on top of a city and to get down, hopefully, all the way to the very foundation of the city. And so they go about clearing away all the layers of debris, everything that, they, um, that has been piled on year after year after year. The archaeologist's job is to clear all that away and to get down to the foundation. That's what they're searching for. They're searching for that original foundation of the city, to, to find that um, original setting of that cornerstone, if you will. That's an archaeologist's job as they're unearthing ancient cities. And along the way, they're unconcerned with, with the artifacts that are unrelated to their mission. They're, you know, there's things that happen over time uh, to cities, and things get dumped over top of them, and they're unconcerned with all that. What they're looking for is uh, getting down to the, the, the original establishment of that city. And so we can learn a lot from that illustration, and I think it will serve us well as we go, go forward, that... Uh, We've got to do that. We, we have to be, in, in, in a sense, archaeologists, ready to clear away all the, all the clutter, all the debris, and to get down to the original founding of our faith. And that, is, of course, is in Christ Jesus. So we, we said that he must be unearthed, but why? Why must he be unearthed? And I want to put up a series of scriptures here, and I have them all quoted here on the screen for you because we're going to go just one scripture at a time, um, very quickly. So first of all, we must understand uh, why he must be on earth is because he is the summation of all things. There in Ephesians 1 and verse 10, Paul writes that with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. You see, the summation of all things, all things in this world, in the heavens, they're all summed up in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ represents God's ultimate plan for man. Way back there in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, 
they were separated from God. And God, at that time, put in place, or set in motion, shall we say, the process by which man would be redeemed from his sins. And all of that is summed up in the man, Jesus Christ. He is the summation of all things. Not just spiritual things, but earthly, uh, heavenly, all the things. So why is it that we must get back to Jesus Christ? Because he is all things. He is the summation of all things. So if we want to know God's ultimate plan for the world and for, for his church, we can see that expressed through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the summation of all things. Paul writes in Romans 3 and verse 25 that, that he's a propitiation for sins. He says, There whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. A propitiation is a turning back of wrath. You see, sin separates us from God and it brings about the wrath of God. God is perfectly just in punishing sin. And he is perfectly just in doing that in his wrath. The propitiation that Jesus Christ offers is a turning back of that wrath. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is it then that, that comes between that can help us not incur the wrath of God? And that is Jesus Christ. For he is the propitiation of sin. He is that turning back of wrath. But that's why he must be unearthed. That's why he must be understood and clearly uh, known and clearly obeyed. Along with that is the understanding that salvation is only available through him. There is no other way through salvation. Acts 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. If we want to be saved from our sins, if we want to turn back the wrath of God, we must do so in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other name under heaven. Salvation is only available in Jesus Christ. And that salvation and that is what eventually or what ultimately, shall we say, leads us to God the Father. He is the only way to God the Father. John 14, verse 6, our Lord says so. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if we want to approach that, that creator, that awesome God that we serve, the only way we do so is through Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important to know him and to understand him and to understand his teachings and to, to learn and to know that this is the way that we are to approach God the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. In John 1 and verse 4, he says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. See, another reason that Jesus needs to be unearthed is that our very life is in him. The life that we have, especially spiritually, there's no other way to get into that life. Only through him. And that's the life that we should want to lead not just as Christians, but as human beings. You know, God's plan of salvation is open to all mankind. 
not a chosen few, not some that God had predestined before time that he's only going to save this many people and the rest of these people aren't going to be saved. No. God desires all men to be saved and, come, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his plan for all men. And in that is life. In Jesus Christ is life. And it says, Paul, uh, John also writes, that he's, the life was the light of men. And the light is the opposite of darkness. And what is in darkness but sin? What is in light but righteousness? So our life, our lives are in Jesus Christ. And one last thing here that, that Jesus serves as our ultimate example. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. You see, it's not just that Jesus came and, and, and lived on this earth, but he left behind an example of how we ought to be, how we ought to live our lives as disciples of him. His life was a... Um, we might say a lowly life. He even said, I, you know, the, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He traveled around, he preached and, and taught, and that was his life. And he served others in his life, even to the point where at the very end of his life where he got down on the floor and washed his disciples' feet. Not in the instituting of some kind of worship service or anything like that, but he even says himself as an example of service. I'm leaving, showing you this as an example of how you ought to treat others. So our life as, as Christians is a life of service. We put others' needs ahead of our own needs. And Jesus has not just said that, but he's demonstrated it. Even to the point of death even to the point of public humiliation and shame and a painful beating and a painful uh, last hours hanging on a cross to die. That's our ultimate example. That's the life that we ought to be able to, uh, to lead, and that is a life of service. I would venture a guess that no one sitting in this room will ever be asked to die for their faith. But we ought to be willing. We ought to be willing to serve God to the point of death. We've been studying the Apostle Peter and those sometimes rash statements that he would make during our, our Lord's ministry. And Jesus is, uh, Peter would say, when, when Jesus said that Satan's going to sift you like wheat and, and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, Peter said, no way. I'm not going to do that. We ought to have that kind of zeal. Now we know what Peter would suffer and how he would fail those tests. But our faith ought to be that strong. We ought to have that same kind of commitment and living a life of service to our Lord. It's easy to say, but how do we go about doing it? Well, there's no secrets here. I haven't found anything in Scripture that, that's going to wow you. It's going to just blow your mind as the, uh, Kevin's found something in Scripture that's the key to unlocking it all. No, it's all here. It's all been here for a long time. And that's the point of what we'll make here first is if we're going to do it, if we're going to 
start off in this archaeological dig, first thing we need is a map. We need a map. So we make sure that we're digging in the right place. And what is that map? And of course that map is the Word of God. Our study, our learning, our appreciation of the Word of God is that map. That's the way that we're going to make sure that we're uh, digging in the right place, make sure we're digging the right things. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Peter talks about how uh, he has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That helps us to understand that the map that we have is complete. It's not torn on this edge and you've got to piece this together and you've got to go over to Burma and find this piece of the map and put it over here. No, it's all together. It's right here in God's Word. It's complete. All things pertaining to life and godliness. So when we set about unearthing all the rubbish, all the things that are, have been covered over our Lord, the Bible is our map to do that. It's as simple as that. And as we mentioned, it, that's, that's the way that we ensure that we're digging in the right place. That we're not relying on um, what I say, or some commentator, or someone who's written a book. And please understand that commentaries and books and all those things are, are, are helpful in our pursuits. But really only one book is necessary. The Word of God. We can get all that we need from there. Let's focus on that. So we have a map. We know where we ought to dig. And we know that the map is complete. It's going to give us all that we know. So what's next? Well, we simply just got to start digging. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to, to have a plan, but you got to execute that plan at some point. You got to put it in the, in the practice, right? You got, to, you got to pick up the shovel. You got to start digging. And what we have to do is, like that archaeologist, we have to remove all that debris. There's so much error, so much false doctrine, errant doctrine, tangent doctrine, all those things that are, that are lying there, covering over the, the foundation that we're looking for. We have to dig through all that, just like that archaeologist does. We have to be willing to, to just uh, get rid of it, to toss it away. In Philippians 3 and verse 8, Paul says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing uh, value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I count all things but loss. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul was fine with, with losing all things. Remember, Paul was a, a man of great stature amongst the, Jew, the Jewish community, amongst the Jews. He had great stature. He counted all that as rubbish, as it says. I count them all but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. No matter what our station in life, no matter where we might have come from or, or what it is that we are in the, in, the, in the earthly plane, we ought to be ready to just count all that but rubbish. All that's garbage. In view of Jesus Christ, my Lord, we ought to have that same kind of attitude. Digging the debris and throw it, throwing it away, never looking back. That ought to be our attitude. And as we're doing that, we ought to be looking for that foundation. Just like the archaeologist is digging through all the debris, looking for the original foundation, the original walls of the city. 
That's what we need to be always looking for. An original foundation. And we know what that is. We know that that is our Lord himself. He's spoken of as that cornerstone. So when we're looking, when we find that foundation, it's Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. We also, in this, we need to be fearless in our pursuits. Just as Paul mentions there, um, that he counts all those things rubbish. Nothing should hinder us in our search. You know, so many things can come along. Um, family matters, career matters. Uh, some brother who might uh, be either quietly or quite noisily leading people astray. We have to make sure that that, that doesn't get in the way of our pursuits. In Philippians 2, beginning of verse 20, Paul writes this. He says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? You see, that, that's echoing what our Lord says. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. It says you, our Lord says you readily, easily set aside the commandments of God for your traditions. And we see that with the Pharisees, don't we? So much so that they were tithing uh, the, the spices that they put on their food. That's too, that's too much. That's too far. They lost, they'd lost their way. And the Lord blasts them for it, especially at the end of his ministry. He blasts them for their hypocrisy. And in Paul's writing something along those similar veins. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why are you living in the world to submit yourself to these decrees? Why are you submitting yourself to these things that man has put in place? Not God, not our Lord, but men. Um, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know, and this speaks to uh, religions and denominations that would deny certain things that aren't denied in Scripture. And think about the celibacy of the priests and the problems that they're having in the Catholic Church. You think that might stem from the fact that they aren't to be doing that? They aren't to deny things that God has not denied? Verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. You see, this could be things that, that they look very uh, religious because you're denying yourself. You're denying your uh, uh, happiness, so to speak. You're denying pleasure of this, of this world all in the name of your piety. Paul says that's it's not what you're supposed to be doing. But are of no value against fleshly indulgence. These denials, that, these, these things that man has come along and put in place, it's not part of God's plan. Those are the traditions of men. Those are the things that help to bury Jesus Christ under all this debris. And it's our job as the archaeologist to push past all that, to clear it out of the way. These man-made doctrines, these things that lie on top, just clear them out of the way. Count them as but rubbish. 
as the Apostle Paul did. I want to leave you with this one last scripture from 1 Peter 2. Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and and envy and all slander, you know, those are the, the ugly things in life. Putting aside all of that, putting aside all the things, all the clutter, all the debris, all the garbage, putting aside all that, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. See, there's something uh, so pure and so um, simple in God's word. And that is the simple plan by which we are saved from our sins. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about how that's foolishness to the world, putting a man to death that's supposed to be your Lord, you're going to put him to death, that's foolishness. You see, that's man's thinking. God's thinking is that it pleased him to put him to death. Because that meant that God was redeeming man from his sin. That God was carrying out the promise that had been made so long back to Abraham. Through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And when our Lord was put to death on that cross, it pleased God to do that. Because that was the fulfillment of that promise. And so now all the world has the ability to be saved from their sins. And how pleasing that must be to God. To see his plan fulfilled. So we put aside all the malice, all the things, all the garbage in the world, and we long for the pure milk of the word so that we can grow in our respect for God and our respect for his word. And Peter puts it as pure milk, that pure, simple, um, unblemished nourishment of God's word. So when we put aside all the clutter and all the the doctrines and all the things that men have put on top and continued to bury our Lord under this mountain of debris. We can get rid of all that through the simple word of God. I hope that you see how simple God's plan of salvation is. It starts with hearing the word of God. And, and then goes to believing in what you've heard and understanding that what you have heard should cause you to make a change in your life, and that's when you repent. And you make that good confession of, of who Jesus Christ is and that name by which we are saved, and no other name under heaven is the one that can save us but Jesus Christ. And then we are a candidate for baptism. We are ready to be Immersed in the waters, the burial of, uh, in a watery death, washing away our sins, and then we come up, a new creature to walk in newness of life. What a wonderful, simple plan that is. And even the world wants to pervert that and, and, and dismiss parts of that simple plan, yet God's word is very clear in how these things are to be, are to be accomplished and how simple it is. And then it is our job to continue in the faith 
and to continue to search out and to seek that pure milk of the word as we live our lives in service to him. If you have needs of the congregation, if you're not a child of God, or if as a child of God you are struggling with something, I encourage you to make it right. If you need the prayers of the congregation, we can help you with that as well. We can pray for you. You can let all that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.